This. This is, this is diversified, diversified, diversified game, game, game. game. A podcast giving entrepreneurial advice from a diverse and inclusive perspective with Kelly. He may agree, he may oppose, and it's more than just race, it's about, you know, ideas. So, let the game begin. Hey, it's Kellen, and today on Diversified Game, and I got him right off the photo shoot. He, he's not just an entrepreneur, he also sidelines as a model, too. Um, you know, that, that's the type of energy that, that he has. And TMS Rouge, a.k.a. Teddy of Rain Tree Farms, is going to give us the game. Now, this brother, I believe I saw him online at a conference, and if I did see him online at a conference... He was mentioned in this book or was all both because the brother is has multiple businesses. He's created, founded. And I really want to show you guys that you can do it, too. He's not a unicorn. He's just a hardworking man. So welcome to the show, TMS. Thank you so much for the invitation. Um, And I knew I know we had to do it a couple of tries, but uh, we finally got it right. So uh, thanks for having me on. You're welcome. And I want to let the people know that you were tired because I've seen you, you know, do your public speaking and you always have energy. For a second, I thought it was my my twin. I said, hold on. He's not 200 pounds, though, of pure muscle. So I said, no. (laughs) (laughs) so you've done enough press and i would tell people you know just put in his name and you can also click on the links in the description box whether you're listening or watching you've done enough press where i'm gonna go a different route because i'm just kind of a different individual and Mm. all the businesses that you have and like myself you're still a young man i just got to get into it how many businesses do you have and how do you manage those things? That a lot of them you've co-founded. Yeah, um, well, and that's that's part of the beauty right there is the co-founding part. Um, I think a lot of people get um, lock themselves into a corner and are unable to succeed because they want to own one hundred percent of an idea. But one hundred percent of an idea that's not making zero money because you can't put a team together equals zero. So. When you are able to share an idea with people who are um, have the skills to help you bring it to fruition, then it's even better than an idea you just you know were holding on to because you wanted to own one hundred percent of it. Um, so I've been lucky to be a co-founder on um, many companies, uh, startups. Not all not all of them made it because I mean, just getting some an, an idea to stick and be successful. One takes a lot of time. Two takes a lot of effort. Three takes a lot of money, um, and four it takes a really good team to actually make it work. And uh, and it's very rare for all four of those to um, to sync very well and uh, and and. Um, and take off. Uh, you asked any of the Fortune uh, 500 CEOs or startup founders that have hit um, uh, unicorn level or even below that, how many startups that they've had that have failed? And they'll, you know, they'll have, you know, they'll have too many to count. So 
um, it takes a bit of luck, which is number five also, to to make sure that these these kinds of ideas actually grow and work out. So for me, it's about finding the right kind of people that actually buy into the vision um, of what you're trying to sell and what you're trying to build. And then, you know, giving them uh, roles or sharing in, in, in you know, a division of labor, essentially, and you lean into your strength and allow them to lean into their strength in order to make, you know, your collective baby actually be able to work. Um, so really, that's that's kind of the secret. Just don't carry the whole load. And then you're able to, um, you know, if you're somebody like me, you have a thousand ideas that you uh, want to pursue. Um, but then you're very keenly aware you only have one lifetime. So that's the challenge. And so you spread the love. You come up with yeah. ideas and you spread the love. You build the team and you share the check. It's just that yeah. now out of all those businesses, I mean, you have Rain Tree Farms, but, you know, you also have the media company. And, and, and when I said, you know, you moonlight as a model, I'm, I'm serious. You know, like myself, they might see me, you know, doing so, so, some of that. They ask me, I can't help it. You know, I'm in Florida. I'm beautiful. I can't help it. So yeah. which one of those ideas and do you spend the most time on or do you enjoy the most? I think I spend um, I spend my a lot of my, my mental uh, space right now is spent trying to make uh, rain tree work. And the reason that is um, because I find a lot of joy in creating things that help the most people. Rain tree farms was uh, created to help uh, uh, farmers uh, in my local community to be able to uh, commercialize their you know their plots, their pieces of land. Um, so it fell. I fell on, I, on an idea to help them commercialize their crops by creating a company that stood between them and uh, international buyers, where um, a lot of the uh, uh, where a lot of the oh, the financing, or should I say, the revenue uh, is the value added um, uh, income is is essentially on the export market. So. However, that proved to be a really difficult problem to solve. But then I just happened to be, uh, one, very stubborn, and two, I like very difficult things, trying to solve difficult things, because if I can solve this, then that means uh, I, I've, I pave a path to, for somebody else who comes along with me and actually accelerates the idea even further than I, I could actually um, get it to. So Rain Tree Farms is, is really a passion project. I can't think of anything. I, I can, of, of, of everything else that I do, I can let go of. But Rain Tree Farms, even if there's not a single dollar in the bank account, um, it is something that I will try to figure out how do we continue um, staying alive um, and making sure this dream happens uh, and not quitting on it. Because a lot of um, a lot of the shortcomings for a lot of the ideas here on the continent are because pe people quit too early. Uh, you know, I really got serious with Rain Tree Farms around 2015. And I sat down and I was like, we're going to make this work. I'm going to give all of my time to actually making this work. And we've made progress uh, out of that. And every year something new uh, and a new level is reached and we're uh, a little bit closer to being self-sustaining, a little bit closer to being transformative, a little bit closer to delivering the kind of impact that I wanted um, for the platform to actually be able to deliver. So 
that's that's the that's the challenge for me is um, how do I survive even in the ups and downs of you know one day you're successful the next day you get hit with something that you didn't expect I mean it's it's agriculture in Africa so it's no bed of roses I guarantee you there are many people who you know quit and you know abandon ideas before um, uh, before they could mature because it takes so long. Um, and the cycle for figuring out whether or not it's, it's actually working is years long. Um, so you have to be patient, you have to be stubborn, and you also have to be creative, allowing you to pivot very quickly when you run into a problem, as opposed to just simply saying, oh, that didn't work, let me quit. Okay, and, is, um, and, I, and I'm asking this next question, and I got to just kind of um, make sure it's clear uh, on this show when I have entrepreneurs come on and I have had a few people talking about farming and it's actually investable. Um, you know, mm -hmm. uh, Americans can invest in it, especially black Americans. They can invest and they can invest in, you know, a field in Nigeria um, and actually get either some ownership or, or lease it and have their own cassava. Is Rain Tree Farms one of those um, type of programs that if they say, I want to put some money towards that because I want to invest in Africa. Yeah, but investing in Africa is not about is is a long term play. I would warn anybody that um, if you're trying to invest in Africa and just you know writing a check uh, to an entity somewhere, you're bound to lose your money. You might as well burn the money uh, in a fireplace. At least you will be temporarily warm. Um, but investing in Africa is a very very long term play, and you really need to be invested, not just financially but uh, emotionally, um, as well as, um, you know, psychologically. Uh, furthermore, you need to be here physically to actually understand what it is that you're investing in. And it's not just simply saying, okay, I want to invest in Africa, where do I write a check? You need to understand the complexity of Africa, period. You know, 54 countries are 54 countries, literally very different uh, entities. And it, that owes to the fact that, even within those countries, there is uh, hundreds, um, there's tens and, and even hundreds sometimes of uh, different cultures within those countries. And collectively, that complexity makes it very, very difficult. I always caution people that just say, hey, I just want to, you know, I have a love for Africa. Let me go there. Uh, let me go, you know, uh, invest. No, you have to spend your time here. You have to know what you're doing. You have to know how you're putting your money in. Now, if you want to just donate a check of $10,000 and don't care where it goes, as long as it goes to Africa, that's one thing. But if you really want to invest on this continent, this is not Wall Street. You just don't, you know, withdraw money, put it on, you know, in, in your Kaiser Permanente account or whatever, and then you watch the stock do its thing. But you really have to be here because a lot of the in, in industries that are investable here um, require building from the ground up because systems don't exist here. Well, you know, <clears throat> that's a bit broad to say, but systems don't exist here the same way they are in developed countries like in North America or Europe, etc. So when you come here, you have to adapt your entire mentality to how Africa works. So if you come here and then you think, you know, in two, three years or maybe 18 months, I'll have a return on investment, you're going to be very, very disappointed. So you cannot parachute into uh, the African continent and think suddenly you're going to 
solve something by writing a check. You need to create relationships here. You need, I, actually, in terms of investment, that's the number one thing that I would, you know, tell anybody, uh, any African Americans, European, uh, um, European Africans that are like, hey, I want to go back to the continent. I want to do something. First of all, get your ass to the continent. Before you write a check, get your ass to the continent, understand where you are, understand the complexities, immerse yourself because that is the first return on investment that is going to be very, very important before you even write a check. Because during your time here, you will create relationships that are going to define how you invest and um, how you move forward. And those relationships will build um, your investments or they will break them. Now, just even by doing that, it doesn't mean that you know your investment is suddenly going to be successful. You gotta do the work. You gotta do the work. You gotta invest your time and you gotta invest your money. And you know, whatever entrepreneur you invest in, you gotta be willing to hold their hand through the entirety of the process because it's gonna go up and it's gonna go down. You have to be willing to be uh, to be with that investor when things are up as well as when they are down, which is bound to happen. A lot of investors come here and are like, oh, this is a massive opportunity. Let me put a bunch of money. And then they, and then they plan for the upside, but do zero planning for the downside. You will always experience both here. There is the opportunity for high return. There is also opportunity for absolute ruin if you don't, if you don't figure out how to play the middle. So um, I would be very cautious in actually telling the people that are trying to invest that um, it's as easy as writing a check. It's not. Even if it's my company, I would not take your money until you came down here and ac- actually understood and saw the complexity of doing business here so that, I, so that I am clear in my mind that you understand where you're putting your money because there's a 50-50 chance you will lose that money. And I don't want you to say, hey, I wrote you a check and you lost the money. I want you to understand when I call you and say, yo, you know, I don't know. There, there, there was a political crisis. The village got angry. They burned down the factory. That is not something we had in the term sheet, <laughs> you know? Well, I, I love how you broke that down. And, and just so the audience to know, TMS is the guy who was, you know, running a farm from his tablet. Um, and he could be on the other side of the, the, the country, the other side of the world, even, you know. And, and so, you know, you you are were you born in America or were you born in Uganda? Um, so the backstory is I am actually fully Ugandan. I was born um, in Masindi, Uganda, which is where the, the farm is. Um, and then when I was nine or ten, I moved to Kenya for uh, about two years. Uh, and then after that, I moved to a country called Texas. You might have heard of it. Um, and um, I, that's where I do, did my formal education, uh, high school and university. And then after that, um, I spent some time training for the Olympics. Um, and then while I was in Texas, I spent some time training for the Olympics. Uh, and then after I retired from that, I moved to D.C. Uh, I did some communication consulting at the World Bank. Um, and then increasingly, um, I saw a need to actually really go head back here because I didn't feel like I belonged in the U.S. Um, and the more I came back home, the more I saw opportunities to come back and invest my time and my money because I, I think 
the future um, is here on the continent, but you have to be willing to come here and do the sweat equity. So that's really kind of in, in short, that's, you know, how I, how I got here. Now I, I gotta, I, since you brought it up, I was going to almost let you slide, but I, I mean, you know, that the athleticism, again, another trait that we both share, they put us in the same lab. Um, yeah. How did you decide which country you wanted to, you know, um, train for? And is it something where you could, if you're a dual citizen, you could go back and forth and say, okay, if I didn't make it on this team, maybe they'll take me. Because, you know, we've seen that with, with you know, different footballers um, at times, depending on who they want to, you know, where they want to play. So how, how did yeah. you? Well, it was easy. I never adopted American citizenship. In fact, I kept my uh, I kept my Ugandan citizenship. Funny story, when I arrived in uh, the U.S. after six months, I was 12 years old, I think, at the time. By the time I got to the U.S., um, after six months in the U.S., I went to my father and I was like, you know what? Don't ever naturalize me. I don't want to be a citizen of this country. So, and I kept my Ugandan passport. Um, and up to this day, I don't understand what that 12-year-old um, knew about my future, but it looks like he understood that I was, I was going to end up back here. And it actually played out exactly that same way. Um, and uh, yeah, so five years ago, I made the permanent move. Um, I let my green card expire. Um, I had a great time in the U.S., but I knew it wasn't home. I knew that... Um, um, that Uganda would be it for me. And uh, the last five years have essentially been the grind, right? The grind of uh, coming back home, the grind of uh, establishing yourself, the grind of, you know, learning um, the nuance of, you know, how do you survive business here, the business environment? How do you adjust? Because um, the culture is different. The business culture is different. The structures that make business run are completely different. So, um, you, I, I came back with the, with the with the mission of trying to figure out, okay, how do you how do we make transformative business work here? How do we make social enterprise work? How do we help the last mile of development to feel included um, as the country continues to develop? We are a very young country, um, not not by by way of. Uh, um, you know, democracy or statehood, but demographically we're very, very young. But also, you know, um, from the perspective of democracy, we're still very young. We're only 50 years old. Um, you know, uh, that's how, you know, that's, uh, that's how soon ago that we, you know, acquired independence and we're still trying to figure out this democracy thing that everybody keeps talking about. Yeah, and, and, and that democracy isn't necessarily for, you know, Africa. I mean, it surely didn't have Africa in, in place when they were writing it up. So we, we, we need no. to remix that. <laughs> we, we do. We do need to remix it. And I've actually I've been an advocate of that. Um, for me, it's not about who is uh, in power or what form of, uh, um, or what form of uh, governance that we have. I care about the results. I care that the people have equal access. I care that there is, um, you know, uh, investment in making sure that everybody has a fair shot uh, at making it. I care that you know, about the reduction of um, um, of corruption. I care about making sure that our education is decou decoupled from uh, decoupled and decolonized from 
um, you know, the legacy education system that we have adopted and continue to use 50 years later. We haven't made any changes to really make it our own or reverse it and actually say, hey, let's throw this out. Let's begin from scratch and figure out who are we as Africans and how do we educate ourselves? Because it feels like we adopted something. Uh, we use textbooks written by colonizers about our own history, which I find to be like absolutely bonkers. Um, but as I was saying, we're a very young country and that concerns me. We're 50% under the age of 15. The entire population of Uganda is 50% under the age of 15, if you can figure that out. And we're 78% under the age of 30. Very young, very vulnerable. And we're crying for our own identity. And it really hurts that we're not pausing enough to say, who are we? Well, and, and it's coming. And, and I think that, you know, we see um, uh, on YouTube, I represent, you know, influencers and, and different people and one of my my positions and we're seeing so many more people going to the continent and you know we always the negative will stand out but there are also people doing some good positive work um mm. and, and they want to connect they i always tell people this um tms that you don't go to africa trying to teach africans anything you, you can make change here if you want it to don't don't go to Africa and think that you're about to be the savior. Only Jesus saves and, and you don't go to church. I tell them. So, you know, it, I'll read your scriptures. So don't don't come there. Just come in and, and, and you know, look, try to learn the culture and learn who you were, because mm. when Americans come and tell me you might get this. Do you get because of your accent? Do you get American privilege in Africa? Um, I get a little bit of deference. I, I, I definitely would say, um, but it's not, um, it's not privilege that I like to cash in. Um, you know, uh, the accent does set me apart a little bit. Um, but I prefer to be treated on the same terms as everybody here. You know, as a, as a, as a diaspora, I understand that I stand a little bit, um, separated just because of the length of time that I've been outside the continent. Um, and, you know, travel is, you know, as, as, the, as the famous saying um, goes, travel is fatal to bigotry and uh, ignorance. I mean, you know, that's a bad paraphrase. So I have a different perspective whenever I look at issues and, and, uh, and things. I'm able to see the forest for the trees. And a lot of people come to me for advice about particular issues because I have had that exposure and can actually, um, you know, look at a problem and actually provide a solution or a set of solutions or uh, suggestions that might help them out. So I try to share some of that privilege that I have gained through global travel over the last 25 years um, and kind of bring it home because I think creating a level playing field means sharing what you know. Um, for those that don't know, I'll give you an example of how far I go to make sure that um, I share a lot of that privilege. A friend of mine, uh, Dr. Laura T, is a professor at, um, um, at Colby University in Maine. She reached out to me about five years ago and was like, look, um, I'm teaching governance here at, uh, at the university. Uh, I would like to do an exchange program in, uh, in, in Uganda because she, you know, uh, she traveled here and did research here in Uganda for a long time, and that's how we met. Um, 
And I told her, uh, look, yeah, it'd be great. I would love to partner with, with you on that. Um, and I would like to have your students in, uh, in our village. That's fine. That's great. However, it's incomplete. Is it possible that Colby University could invite some members of my community to come to Colby to learn about American culture? That way, it's an even exchange. Um, and that program has worked fantastic. Members of my village have been able to travel to, uh, to the U.S. Uh, they spend um, a, you know, two weeks with the students, with the professors. They go visit the mayor. They figure out, you know, they, they you know, talk to environmental groups. They talk to women's groups. They see how um, that culture lives and how it structures itself. And they bring some of those ideas back to the village to actually look at their village completely different. And this allows them to look at their community and be able to say, look, um, we can't sit here waiting for white saviors to come and fix a school, build a borehole, um, you know, build a clinic. This is our community and we have to own the problems that are in this community. So we have to look at the leaders the very same way that community um, in Maine looks at, you know, the mayor and says, hey, there's something wrong with um, uh, our trees, there's something wrong with our roads, etc. We need you to fix them. They don't fly to Europe and, you know, grab some high school kids and say, hey, could you come to, you know, Maine to help us uh, repair our roads? No. Um, a lot of that is independent. So I try to instill a lot of um, um, instill a lot of uh, agency uh, in our communities to understand that whatever it is that you're going through, however difficult it may be, it's you to provide the solutions. It's you to fix it. It's you uh, to look at the community and say, we need to band together to fix this issue. And we need to do it now because nobody's coming. Okay. Yeah, definitely no, no one's, no one's coming, um, you know, to, to save any of us. So we're going to have to unite and come together. Um, yeah. and so I, I know, you know, you also speak French. Do you also speak Swahili, uh, fluently and how many other languages do you speak? Well, I have, I have my mother tongue, which I'm relearning, which is, uh, Lignoro. Um, I'm kind of about 50-50 there uh, since I came back because when I left here, obviously, when you're a child, you learn and drop languages uh, very, very quickly. So when I left here, I picked up Swahili when I was in Kenya, was very, very fluent there and it was perfectly fine. Um, and then went to the United States and obviously there is, is essentially a melting pot. Everybody essentially literally... Um, melts around English. So without other Swahili speakers or other Lunyoro speakers, um, you know, I defaulted to, to English. And then when I was in university, I took, uh, uh, I studied French and that was my minor. Um, so those are the two languages I would say are kind of at the top, but now I'm relearning my, uh, my mother tongue. No, that, that's beautiful. Is there, is there anything from America that you miss anything at all? You know, I would say, I think the thing I miss the most is my friends. Um, you know, when you have such close friends for over a long period of time, in fact, um, I, I still talk to a, a small group of my high school friends. We have, uh, uh, you know, we have a, a, mess a messages uh, chat group and uh, we stay in touch that way. Um, they, they had, we had plans of them coming here to Uganda, 
uh, to actually spend some time here. But then COVID happened, and then we don't know how long that's going to be. Um, so more likely, maybe 2022, they'll come and visit. But yeah, above the only thing that I do miss is uh, is uh, um, is, uh, is is my friends. Everything else, I can pretty I either. I got more than enough of it or I can get it over the internet. So if I missed any TV shows, I can, you know, I can catch them on, on Netflix or I can catch them on any of the online services. Um, you know, if I miss American products, you know, there's Amazon, you know, either that could ship down here. There is really nothing that is inaccessible because now we have, um, we're fairly connected globally and whatever it is that you, that you miss or want, you can, you know, have access to it, um, you know, just through your ping, you know, fingertips and uh, uh, websites or communities, online communities, etc. So um, I think that's that what made it easier. Had it been like, you know, I don't know, the 1980s or something like that, I think it would have been hard to completely move back and kind of shed, uh, you know, the American culture that I adopted. But these days, I can, you know, I still catch up to folk, you know, football games, basketball games, um, you know, uh, as they are streamed online. And, and you mentioned Amazon, uh, but I'm also going to shout out Jumia. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a, a small stockholder. I got to shout them out at least. Um, so that stock can rise a little bit. Rise. Uh, if, if I, but I, I'm I'm gonna just gonna say say it out out out, out loud and actually be able to say Jumia 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 has got a lot of problems. Um, it's got a lot of problems, and before that stock rises, it needs like you know a bottom up uh, lobotomy to kind of fix it, its business model um, and the way that it kind of engages in, in the market here. I I mean I engage with them a lot. Um, apart from Rain Tree Farms, I run a I run a restaurant, and uh, the Jumia Food does a lot of the deliveries. But I can see definitely a lot of issues there, even with Jumia Market. Um, uh, I'm not saying it's going to fail, but it's going to go through a lot of growing pains before it can actually figure out e-commerce on the continent. Okay, okay, and I hope they, um, you know, they might be seeing this little clip, if nothing else because they need to get some, uh, some new leadership definitely in, on how they're, they're doing things. Well, now, some African leadership would be good. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now, have you ever had a job in, uh, in, you know, what made you then become an entrepreneur if you have had a job? You said, oh, this ain't for me. I got to take orders and, you know, get a 30-minute lunch break in America and, and rush back and, say my food is digested like have you ever had a job and then yeah what pushed you to entrepreneurship um to tell you the truth i've never had a job um i've either been a consultant or part part-time employee um and i think i knew that i did not want to be an employee the rest of my life when i graduated um university uh in fact i, I when i was giving my uh, I, I actually for my class i gave the graduation speech and as I was giving it out, um, I was thinking to myself, I, because at the time I was doing an internship at an ad agency and I had spent the entire summer in a cubicle. And I was like, 
I don't got time for this. <laughs> this is not what I want to do with my life. I know I have a degree, but this is not what I want to do with my life. Um, I don't want to sit in a cubicle for three years before I can earn any kind of respect and then have to switch jobs because, um, you know, my, the vertical uh, or the opportunities to move up vertically are, are, are simply not there. I was like, you know what? I don't, I don't, that's not my path. I knew very early that wasn't my path. So I freelanced, um, uh, I did consulting. I was a professional photographer for a long time. Um, I was my own boss. I, I think I've always wanted to be that way. Um, and, you know, so that I would, so that I could pursue the ideas that I wanted. Um, was it difficult? Absolutely. Was it freeing and fulfilling? Absolutely. Um, it really was. And I think had I been employed, Rain Tree Farms would not exist. Okay. And having, you know, being an entrepreneur, being young, being black, no matter if you're in America or if you're in Africa, the way we have our hair sometimes can be a, you know, looked upon, especially if someone's 65 and older. Oh, mm. man, why don't, you, why don't you cut that? And I said, man, you don't read your script. You know, it's, it might be <laughs> right. So yeah. uh, how have you dealt with being you? Because you seem to be a person who you're comfortable being who you are, even if he's dancing on stage, folks. I told you, you know, after this, uh, YouTube is name. You'll see him, you know, giving speeches and, and, and full of energy. But how have you, you know, kept your sanity and progress? And have you think that it's cost you any money having your hair and being who you are. Oh yeah, has it has it, well? I mean, being black and 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 free in your blackness, of course, it, it's always going to cost you. It's always going to cost you opportunities. Do I want to cartel and redefine myself and debase myself in front of the dominant culture so that I could be accepted and paid my worth? That's part of the reason I didn't want to have a job because that's the game I would have played constantly right? Fighting up against uh, systemic racism, the structures that didn't allow me for me to be free with who I am, having to minimize myself so that other people around me could feel safe. That to me was not the thing I wanted to do. And I think a lot of that is what uh, drove me to want to come back to the continent. Because here, I don't have to be reminded that I'm black, whether it's overtly or, or sub. sub you know, subversively, I don't have to be reminded constantly that I'm black. I can be whatever I am. You know, in fact, I didn't know that I was black until I moved to the United States. I just thought I was African. You know, that identity is not something that I actually had. And it actually got to be suffocating that constantly I had to, you know, be reminded that, hey, you're black, because that's the way the system is built is to remind you that you're subordinate within the system. And that, to me, doesn't sit well. I'm extremely in independent as an individual. I love my agency and my ability to chart my own course on this planet because everybody on this planet has the right to do that. And I'm stubborn enough to actually be able to say, no, you're not going to do that to me. You're not going to limit my ability to be my 100% self that I can be. The only person that can limit me is me. So I will wear my hair the way I want to. I will, you know, wear a suit with, you know, it wasn't long ago, actually, through COVID, I had your hair. It was that long. Uh, it was actually, it was, it was like two weeks ago that I finally cut it. 
but I've been in, you know, government minister meetings in a, you know, th- in a three-piece suit with my dreads. Um, and, you know, and they look at my dreads while I spew out some, you know, some serious knowledge and then they pay attention. So, you know, I, you know, I, I let them misjudge me on the way I look, but I deliver, um, you know, my, my delivery is on point on anything that I try to do because I try to say it's not the way I look, it's the, um, it's the substance and it's the content of my character that you need to pay attention to. No, definitely, definitely. And, and these, aren't, these aren't dreads. These are love locks. We got a lot of love. So, you know, we just let it flow. Um, there you go. <laughs> yeah, we, we dread nothing, man. Um, yeah. So, but yeah, it's no, I, I love that. And you know what, folks? It's so easy to do this interview when you have something in common with somebody because you can easily just ask the questions that you want to be asked or not wanted to be asked in an interview. So I can just yeah. flip like a role reversal, right? I can just, hey, so TMS, is it true that you owe the IRS $10 million? You know, I mean, not that's not true, but. You could just, you know, throw all those things out there. But do you do you owe the IRS ten million dollars? <laughs> I'm down the tr- I'm down the street from Trump, man. I'm I'm winning either way, you know, Mar-a-Lago. <laughs> right there. So yeah, no, I don't, yeah. I don't I don't know them. I don't I don't um, like owing anybody anything. Uh, we know that the um, the lenders, um, you know, the slave or vice versa. I got a little dyslexia, so you know, it just. Yeah. Uh, so with all the success that you had, how do you deal with family, friends? Because they say, look, TMF, he's being mentioned on this. He has, you know, this money, you know, I, I, if he has all these businesses. He must have some money to give me. And it's different when you're in Africa, because no time in America will somebody sit down in front of your house and wait for you to come home for you to do them a favor. But yeah. Africa. That's one thing in most of the 54 countries will happen and folks will wait all day. So how do you navigate that? Because for many entrepreneurs, it's hard to say no, especially when you're doing good. Yeah, um, but I I learned very early on uh, in my relationship with my family to kind of put the foot down on exactly how I would spend my money and how I would, um, you know, give it out. Um, so one of the things that I looked at, I was like, you know what, I could give money if I had it, I would give money to whoever asked for it. Um, or I could invest in people to help them get on their feet. And as such, so I sat down with my family and said, look, it's not the land of milk and honey in the United States. And in fact, I made it a point to fly my mother to the United States and actually say, you need to see how I live, right? I flew her to the United States um, for an entire month. And I said, you need to live in this apartment and then you need to observe exactly how I live. At the time, I think uh, it was right after I graduated university. And uh, if you know anything about, you know, right after you graduate, you don't have any money, but you have a whole ton of debt. <laughs> so um, so I, I brought her in right at the perfect time to teach the lesson so that she could be my messenger to anyone in my family back home. So literally every day she would see me leave at seven o'clock in the morning and she would see me return at 7 p.m. 
right? So she barely saw me when I was there. I was working six days a week. She would get mad that I wasn't going to church because I, you know, I had to go to work also on Sunday. So I purposefully did that to show her it's not easy, right? I, you know, I even had to borrow money for your flight to be able to come here to the United States so that she could see that, you know, first of all, there's no shamba for me to go, you know, grow vegetables, right? I have to buy everything. And in order to buy everything, I have to go and work seven days a week if I have to. So by the time she got home, told everybody immediately, all of those requests stopped. But when I came home, I said, look, here's what I'll do. One by one, I said this to all my siblings who were still in school at the time. I'll say one by one, I will finance your education if you want it, right? If you want it. So after, you know, like eight, year, eight years, I think, <clears throat> I think it's 10 years now. I've put four of my siblings through university. All of them have degrees. And I've said, pay it forward by investing in somebody else. I don't need your money. I don't need you to pay my, you know, I don't need you to pay me any money back. Um, however, you cannot ask for me any money because I've given you all the tools to make all the money that you need. If you fail to do that, that's on you, not on me. You get so you have to be able to demonstrate exactly how you want to invest the money. Um, you know, about the only person that I'll spend money on is my mother. It was like, you never stop investing in your moms, right? Uh, that's the, you know, that, that you do it out of love, not out of obligation. That is something that I love to do. And I love taking care of, of her. I fly her around the world. Um, and, you know, I think a few years ago, we went to Cape Town and it was the highlight of her life for, for the village she showed everybody in the village all of the uh, all of the pictures all of the fancy restaurants she was eating in and she's still like on you know cloud nine i will invest that money in that in that spirit but giving us spending money every other day no i'm like eh, you you <laughs> you can sort yourself out if it's an emergency like you know for uh for health reasons etc yeah i'll be there for you but, you know, you need to figure out how to live because I also need to figure out how to live. You, of all people, were able to see exactly how difficult it is to live in the United States. And she respected that. So, you know, yeah. So that's, a, that's, that's the way I handled it. But I've seen so many people get ripped off by their own families because there's this assumption you go to America, you're, you know, you know, you're, you're swimming in money, you're, everything is, a, is at, uh, 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 everything that you need is, is you know, is, is a click away or is easily available, but they don't understand how much sweat equity you have to put in just to live. And I know so many Africans that are stuck in Europe and the United States, unable to come home because they're embarrassed, because they went under the guise that they're going to make it and take care of everybody, but they failed to communicate the difficulty that they go through. And I find that very sad that you're unable to go home because you're embarrassed because you're coming back with zero. And, and they should be because some folks can't come home because they're stuck in a car payment or a mortgage they can't afford. And it's like, you're, you're, you know, you're, in, in African culture, the kids are the retirement. And so you're expected yeah. to do something, you know, yeah. and, 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 yeah. and, and if you are, are paying Mercedes, but you can't give your mother something. My mother has passed a few years ago, and that was like my, you know, 
That was my yeah. every other day. That's who I talked to for my whole life, right? Even if she was yeah. mad at me, that's who yeah. I, I, I would talk to. And yeah. um, I, I just don't get how items and possessions and, you know, Bentleys, and now it's Burka bags. Are you still single? Yeah. Okay, so instead of, you know, for the um, the bride price, instead of the cows and the goats, now you got to do Burka bags with that. You know, so we're going to ask you for that. <laughs> You know, I, I mean, it, it's yeah, it's 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 um, it's a bit difficult um, in in that way, and 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 the expectations that 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 we as Africans have in terms of like how do we um, how do we flaunt success and how do we um, position ourselves in the world, and unfortunately, it's disappointing to. Uh, just by observation, just to see how we carry ourselves. It's all about the frivolous nature of uh, quick success. We want to show off before we've actually earned it. So you have a lot of people, especially who are newly go to the United States and discover how easy it is to get credit cards, and then they get stuck. You know, in very quick fashion, you can get you know a credit line of $10,000, and before you know it, um, you know, they they have the shiny car they got the best shoes they you know you know living in you know the best apartment and things come crumbling down after a couple of years because that debt is meant to keep you there that is the linchpin that keeps you in the american system and if you don't wake up to actually realize that one you don't need a credit card to actually get it done but sometimes it's it's a necessary evil because you have to be there and the car sometimes for the most part depending on where you are in the united states it's not a luxury it's a necessity you have to drive to work and, you know public transport is you know is you know pretty much trash in most of the united states so what are you going to do so you tie yourself to that um anchor in the american financial system where you need a credit rating you need um an apartment you need a car you need all of these things that your daily paycheck can't cover so you are either paying two jobs or you have a credit card debt up you know that is piling up and you can't make headway and this is why a lot of them don't come home and sometimes they just go to the you know to the u.s and just disappear you know and they only post you know, very fun, you know, uh, I, I, I guess, how do you call it? Slate pictures um, on, on their, on their gram and Facebook walls, etc. And you think that they're making it, but every time I see those, I'm like, I'm seeing an empty bank account and literally no assets. And, you know, it really makes me worry about where we're going. We're not, we're not creating real value for ourselves. We're not creating generational wealth. We're creating generational debt because every generation, if we continue to act this way, is going to start from a position of debt, um, from a position of poverty and destitute. And it's difficult to build generational wealth when we don't look at how do we invest into the future of our family, right? What assets do we have? When you have more cars than land, that's a problem. It really is a problem. And it's disappointing that a lot of us focus on depreciating assets as opposed to appreciating assets. And we don't know the difference. I know people here, even when they are bequeathed large pieces of land, the first thing that they do is sell it and move to the city. That's your biggest asset. How? How? 
Why? They move to the city and buy a fancy car, buy a fancy motorcycle. And you know those things in two to three years, they're gone. And what else do you have? Nothing. We don't know the value of the assets of our traditional assets that we actually have. And that's really disappointing. And that's part of the reason to circle back to how we started. Part of the reason that I wanted to start Rain Tree Funds because I was seeing a lot of youth that was escaping from the village into the city only to live on the streets. When I was like, you have all of this abundance in the village of all of this amazing land and soil that can literally grow anything if you just give yourself some time to let it mature. And you can see your wealth grow, right? And you can see your value and your assets and your family do well. Um, but this love for quick success, it, it's, it, it ruins all of us. It ruins all of us. Overnight success here takes a decade to actually achieve, but we don't have the patience to last 30 days. That's really unfortunate. It definitely is. When you were saying that, I'm, I was kind of just uh, laughing. So I'm thinking I was listening to somebody and um, they're talking in uh, Broken Chichewa. So if you guys know where that is, you know, where they speak that, you'll know where they're from. But they were, you know, had the, basically their family member in Africa was saying, you have a Mercedes, I see with the pictures, the suit, and you even have a Mazungu on your arm. You know, and she looks like, you know, your typical, you know, blonde. The cliche, whatever. the typical cliche, yeah. Yeah, and, and you don't have anything for your family. Um, you know, and, and, and it just, I could just pick myself in her shoes to say, I'm looking at this online. You got yeah. everything, but you have absolutely nothing. So that's, that, that's a shame. What was the last book that you read or the current book that you're reading? Um, I am reading uh, George the Port's uh, collection of poems. Uh, I met him a couple of months ago when he came uh, to do a documentary here uh, in Kampala on uh, entrepreneurship. Um, and then uh, it wasn't until I think last month when until I began uh, reading his book. Um, very bright um, young man. Uh, he's, uh, he's based in London. Uh, and his fantastic perspective on social justice and um, social movements. Um, it's really, really inspiring. Um, it has, and actually, um, um, COVID has really made me miss books. You know, you get so busy in entrepreneurship, you forget that there's a wealth of knowledge and escapism um, in books. So I'm building a shelf currently and going to go buy um, a whole bunch of classics that I really want to get into, specifically related um, to African authors, uh, because I want to give them and support them, uh, and give them a lot of um, uh, a lot of support. Because we need definitely to tell our own stories and read our own stories and find our own heroes within our own stories. And and I just want to brag on TMS because he could have easily said, you know, the last thing I read actually was my Obama speech um, that I that I, I wrote for him. And, you know, I was just wanted to revise it, you know, just, you know, and just really. Because <laughs> he really did that, people. You know, you, 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 better, you, better, you better Google TMS. Um, you know, he's yeah. a speechwriter for Obama. And, you know, that that is the part that I don't even want to tap into that yet, TMS. 
I'm going to wait for another time because I really want you to put that in your book that you're writing. Um, and I want people to see it there because the book mm. could easily be a movie with all the different things that you've done. And we can't give them but a game. Man, when, when am I ever going to finish this thing? You know, I, I, I sit here and I look at the stacks of papers and I'm like, Jesus, man, I... At some point, I really need to be serious about this. But when you're writing, like, I don't know, like a page a week, it, it's going to take the rest of my life to actually finish the damn thing. But it, it definitely, I will be very disappointed in this life if I died before I publish a book. I stand in awe of people who actually finish writing a book. It is some difficult stuff, man. It really is some difficult stuff. Um, well, what, what I'm going to tell you, TMS, like like everyone else probably, you know, weekly, if not daily tells you, you have to bring someone in. They always say, oh, you have to bring a wife, but you have to bring someone else in who can help you write, organize. And when you're paying someone, you know, you'll get it done because you're like, I don't want to pay this person for as long that it's going to take me naturally. I got to sit down, talk to them. I write books. We have a publishing company. I got to, you know, do this because this person I'm paying I take off. Like I don't do anything when I'm in my book mode. I'm in creative mode. Uh, everybody, let this thing roll. I'm off. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. You know, and 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 you can't really be off, but I'm off. You you get it? Like I'm gonna yeah. spend three hours, four hours, whatever that time is naturally, because I think I'm yeah. some type of artist, you know, <laughs> and that I can just do that. So it's coming. We want to see it. That's why I had to put the pressure. Um, you're like, how does this guy know this? It's a gift. Your gift will make room for you, brother. So <laughs> my, my, my signature question, because I don't want to give people a game overload and I want them to check you out and, and request and demand for more, even for your own podcast and possibly YouTube. I'll just throw it on you, brother. But what is your community give back that you are doing or that you want to do in the future? That's an in interesting idea. Um, or interesting question, should I say? Um, as in, like, what do I want to leave as a legacy to a community? All of that, or what you're already, you know, putting in place. I mean, you have so many things going on. You could easily say, you know, yeah. agriculture is, but there may be also mm -hmm. something even deeper that, you know, maybe every Saturday you're donating somewhere else at an orphanage, or you're just doing something, and you want to, you know, just put it you know, the legacy or that you're just simply doing. It doesn't have to be anything that makes us say, wow, but I haven't met mm. an entrepreneur yet that's not doing something. Yeah. yeah. So I do a lot of mentorship, like one-on-one -on -one mentorship, like over long periods of time, um, not even just, um, um, just, you know, a sit down, you know, one hour talk, etc. like over periods of time, because I like, the people that I'm engaging with to be able to see their success rise and to be there just like as their, you know, almost like best friend and personal cheerleader, watching them go through um, the building of themselves and the discovering of themselves. Uh, and I think that's very, very powerful. And I teach through providing the lessons of failure and being truthful about how long it's going to take uh, for something to come to fruition. I always tell people there is nothing of value that is ever created in anyone's comfort zone. So I constantly trying to remind them if you're comfortable, you're not doing your job. You need to be to feel comfortable. I have people that come to me crying. They're saying something is not working. And I'm like, yeah, it's not working. 
And that's exactly where you need to be. You need to focus on that frustration and figure out why it's not working. You're coming to me because you're looking for a shortcut. And I'm here to tell you there isn't a shortcut. You're just going to need to grind through those tears. You're going to need to rub some dirt on that, on that wound on, on your knee and get back in the game because that's the only way you're going to win. You, you know, you don't go crying to your coach. Ah, we're losing, we're losing, we're losing. No, he's going to slap you about and say, get back in there because hanging out on the sideline is not going to win the game. You're going to go out there and actually, you know, land some blows. Otherwise, you're constantly going to quit on everything you ever want. Learn to be uncomfortable in chasing your vision because that's the only way you're going to break barriers. That's the only way you're going to allow yourself uh, to achieve the unseen. Um, you know, visions don't come through on their own. You have to put in the sweat equity. You have to put in the frustration because if you don't and it comes too easily, you won't know how to sustain it. And that's what I, I think I love um, giving back is that sense of reality. Um, however hard she may come across, I guarantee you 100%, they always come back to say thank you. Because I give them the truth. I give them the truth because the worst we can do is to sugarcoat the reality of existence. And that's not, and that's not good for either our future or our present. TMS has given you the game. If he gave any more, he'd have to send you an invoice. He gave you the game on not just business, not just what you can even take in your marriage, because even when you're meeting someone, you have to learn how to be uncomfortable you know, comfortable in an uncomfortable situation and just life, period. So, I, I, you know, like, share, subscribe. You've been blessed whether you're listening or watching. TMS, I thank you for the conversation, brother. Let's take this offline. All right. Thank you so much uh, for the opportunity. Uh, thank you, uh, viewers, uh, for, for watching. Uh, I hope to cross our paths um, in another time. For any uh, additional questions, you can find me on Twitter at TMS Rouge. Thanks for getting in the game and listening to the Diversified Game Podcast with Kellen, the number one show pairing entrepreneurship with diverse and inclusive perspectives like wine and cheese, bagel and locks, fish and grits. Be sure to visit DiversifiedGame.com for all the good stuff. Join in the conversation and discover more content.